Chapter 19 of The Story of My Life and Work. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of My Life and Work by Booker T. Washington. The West Virginia and Other Receptions After European Trip. Early in August, we sailed for America from Southampton and had a very pleasant voyage on the magnificent ocean steamer St. Louis. On the voyage, I was called upon to speak again to the passengers and made many friends for our cause. While in Europe, I received the following invitation. Charleston, West Virginia, May 16, 1899. Professor B.T. Washington, Tuskegee Institute, Tuskegee, Alabama. Dear Sir, Many of the best citizens of West Virginia have united in liberal expressions of admiration and praise of your worth and work, and desire that on your return from Europe you should favor them with your presence and with the inspiration of your words. We most sincerely endorse this move, and on behalf of the citizens of Charleston, extend to you our most cordial invitation to have you come to us, that we may honor you, who have done so much by your life and work, to honor us. We are very truly yours, the Common Council of the City of Charleston, by W. Herman Smith, Mayor. This invitation from the City Council of Charleston was accompanied by the following. Professor B. T. Washington, Principal, Tuskegee Institute. Dear Sir, we, the citizens of Charleston and West Virginia, desire to express our pride in you and the splendid career you have thus far accomplished, and ask that we be permitted to show our pride and interest in a substantial way. Your recent visit to your old home in our midst awoke within us the keenest regret that we were not permitted to hear you and render some substantial aid to your work before you left for Europe. In view of the foregoing, we earnestly invite you to share the hospitality of our city upon your return from Europe and give us the opportunity to hear you and put ourselves in touch with your work in a way that will be most gratifying to yourself and that we may receive the inspiration of your words and presence. An early reply to this invitation, with an indication of the time you may reach our city, will greatly oblige. Yours very respectfully, the Charleston Daily Gazette, the Daily Mail Tribune, G. W. Atkinson, Governor, E. L. Boggs, Secretary to Governor, William M. O. Dawson, Secretary of State, L. M. La Follette, Auditor, J. R. Trotter, Superintendent of Schools, E. W. Wilson, Ex-Governor, W. A. McCorkle, Ex-Governor, John Q. Dickinson, President, Kanawha Valley Bank, L. Pritchard, President, Charleston National Bank, George S. Couch, President, Kanawha National Bank, Ed Reed, Cashier, Kanawha National Bank, George S. Laidley, Superintendent, City Schools, L. E. McWhorter, President, Board of Education, Charles K. Payne, Wholesale Merchant, C. C. Lewis, Jr., Wholesale Merchant, 
R. G. Hubbard, Wholesale Merchant, Daniel D. Brawley, City Sergeant, Grant P. Hall, Clerk of Circuit Court, O. A. Petty, Postmaster, R. Douglas Roller, Rector, St. John's Episcopal Church, M. M. Williamson, Cashier, Citizens National Bank, J. N. Carnes, Assistant Cashier, Citizens National Bank, J. A. Schwabe and Company, Merchants, J. A. de Gruyter, Ex-Mayor, A. H. Boyd, M.D., E. W. Staunton, Clerk, Conahua County Court, M. F. Compton, Pastor, State Street, M. E. Church, T. C. Johnson, Pastor, Charleston Baptist Church, Coyle and Richardson, Merchants, J. H. Gaines, United States District Attorney, Sterrett Brothers, Merchants, N. S. Burlew, Merchant, Joel H. Ruffner, Merchant, M. P. Ruffner, Merchant, E. G. Pearson, Senator, B. R. Winkler, Member, City Council, Flournoy, Price & Smith, Lawyers, Abney, Barnes & Company, Wholesale Merchants, Sam D. Littlepage, Member of City Council, D. W. Shaw, Pastor, Simpson, M. E. Church, J. McHenry Jones, President, West Virginia Colored Institute, James M. Canty, J. C. Gilmer, Bird Prillerman, S. W. Starks, J. M. Hazelwood, Phil Waters, C. W. Hall, Judge Criminal Court, C. W. Boyd, Principal Garnet School, B. S. Morgan, Member of City Council. This invitation to accept a reception from the citizens of Charleston, West Virginia, where I had spent my boyhood days, was a very satisfactory surprise. When I left Charleston, and when I left Malden, which is very near Charleston, I was quite a boy, and I had not been able to spend any great length of time there since I had first left to enter the Hampton Institute. I accepted the invitation for the Charleston reception, and when I reached Charleston, was met by a committee of citizens headed by ex-governor W. A. McCorkle. The meeting, in connection with this reception, was held in the Opera House, and was presided over by Governor George W. Atkinson. It was very largely attended by white and colored citizens from that vicinity, a large number of whom had known me in my boyhood days. I must refrain from giving any detailed account of all the kind and complimentary things they were kind enough to say about me at this meeting. I spent several days in Charleston, visiting the scenes of my early boyhood and my sister in Malden, and many of the older citizens who remembered me. After this reception in Charleston, I was invited to go to Atlanta, Georgia, by the white and colored citizens to be given a reception there. The meeting in Atlanta was presided over by the governor of the state and was largely attended. Receptions by the citizens of Montgomery and New Orleans soon followed. Invitations to attend receptions in other states came to me, but I was not able to accept them all. In the fall of 1899, a meeting was held at Huntsville, Alabama, the spirit of which has since been taken up by other southern cities which promises to prove of lasting benefit in settling the race problem in the south in october 
a meeting was called at Huntsville, which had for its object the discussion of all matters relating to the upbuilding of the South. It was well attended by representatives from nearly every southern state, and was a strong body of men. Among the other subjects discussed was the Negro problem in its relation to the industrial progress of the South. In connection with others, I was invited to deliver an address. The audience was composed mainly of southern white men, but in it was a large number of southern white women, together with quite an attendance of colored men and women. The address which I delivered on that occasion attracted a great deal of attention throughout the country, and for that reason I have taken the liberty of giving it in full. In all discussion and legislation, bearing upon the presence of the Negro in America, it should be borne in mind that we are dealing with a people who were forced to come here without their consent, and in the face of a most earnest protest. This gives the Negro a claim upon your sympathy and generosity that no other race can possess. Besides, though forced from his native land into residence in a country that was not of his choosing, he has earned his right to the title of American citizen by obedience to the law, by patriotism and fidelity, and by the millions which his brawny arms and willing hands have added to the wealth of this country. In saying what I have today, although a Negro and an ex-slave myself, there is no white man whose heart is more wrapped up in every interest of the South and who loves it more dearly than is true of myself. She can have no sorrow that I do not share. She can have no prosperity that I do not rejoice in. She can commit no error that I do not deplore. She can take no step forward that I do not approve. Different in race, in color, in history, we can teach the world that, although thus differing, it is possible for us to dwell side by side in love, in peace, and in material prosperity. We can be one, as I believe we will be in a larger degree in the future, in sympathy, purpose, forbearance, and mutual helpfulness. Let him who would embitter, who would bring strife between your race and mine, be accursed in his basket and in his store, accursed in the fruit of his body and the fruit of his land. No man can plan the degradation of another race without being himself degraded. The highest test of the civilization of any race is its willingness to extend a helping hand to the less fortunate. The South extends a protecting arm and a welcome voice to the foreigner of all nationalities, languages, and conditions. But in this, I pray that you will not forget the black man at your door, whose habits you know, whose fidelity you have tested. You may make of others larger gatherers of wealth, but you cannot make of them more law-abiding, useful, and God-fearing people than the Negro who has been by your side for three centuries, and whose toil in forest, field, and mine has helped to make the South the land of promise and glorious possibility. Before we can make much progress, we must decide whether or not the Negro is to be a permanent part of the South. 
with the light that is before us i have no hesitation in declaring that the great bulk of the negro population will reside among you any hesitation or doubting as to the permanent residence of the race will work infinite harm to the industrial and economic interests of both races here in his wisdom providence has placed the negro here he will remain here he came without a language here he found the anglo-saxon tongue here he came in paganism here he found the religion of christ here he came in barbarism here he found civilization here he came with untrained hands here he found industry if these centuries of contact with the american has done this can you not trust to the wise creator aided by the efforts of the negro himself and your guidance to do the remainder at this point are you willing to cease your efforts and turn the work over to others for completion your duty to the negro will not be fulfilled until you have made of him the highest type of american citizen in intelligence usefulness and morality the south has within itself the forces that are to solve this tremendous problem you have the climate the soil and the material wealth you have the labor to be performed that will occupy many times our present negro population while the calls come daily from south africa from the hawaiian islands from the north and the west for the strong and willing arm of the negro in the field of industry you at your very door have that which others are energetically seeking not only are you in possession of that which others are seeking but more important than all custom and contact have so knit the two races together that the black man finds in these southern states an open sesame in labor industry and business that is not surpassed anywhere it is here alone by reason of the presence of the negro that capital is free from tyranny and despotism that prevents you from employing whom you please and for that wage that is mutually agreeable and profitable it is here that that form of slavery which prevents a man from selling his labor to whom he pleases on account of his color is almost unknown we have had slavery now dead that forced an individual to labor without a recompense but none that compelled a man to remain in idleness while his family starved the negro in all parts of the country is beginning to appreciate the advantage which the south affords for earning a living for commercial development and in proportion as this is true it will constitute the basis for the settlement of other difficulties the colored man is beginning to learn that the bedrock upon which every individual rests his chances for success in life is securing in every manly way never at the sacrifice of principle the friendship the confidence the respect of his next-door neighbor in the little community in which he lives almost the whole problem of the negro in the south rests itself upon the question as to whether he makes himself of such indispensable service to his neighbor to the community that no one can fill his place better 
in the body politic. There is no other safe course for the Negro to pursue. If the black man in the South has a friend in his white neighbor and a still larger number of friends in his own community, he has a protection and a guarantee of his rights that will be more potent and more lasting than any federal Congress or any outside power can confer. While the Negro is grateful for the opportunities which he enjoys in the business of the South, you should remember that you are in debt to the black man for furnishing you with labor that is almost a stranger to strikes, lockouts, and labor wars. Labor that is law-abiding, peaceful, teachable. Labor that is one with you in language, sympathy, religion, and patriotism. Labor that has never been tempted to follow the red flag of anarchy, but always the safe flag of his country and the spotless banner of the cross. But if the South is to go forward and not stand still, if she is to reach the highest reward from her wonderful resources and keep abreast of the progress of the world, she must reach that point without needless delay where she will not be continually advertising to the world that she has a race question to settle. We must reach that point where, at every election, from the choice of a magistrate to that of a governor, the decision will not hinge upon a discussion or a revival of the race question. We must arrive at that period where the great fundamental question of good roads, education of farmers, agricultural and mineral development, manufacturing and industrial, and public school education will be, in a large degree, the absorbing topics in our political campaign. But that we may get this question from among us, the white man has a duty to perform, the black man has a duty. No question is ever permanently settled until it is settled in the principles of the highest justice. Capital and lawlessness will not dwell together. The white man who learns to disregard law when a negro is concerned will soon disregard it when a white man is concerned. In the evolution of the South, it seems to me that we have reached that period where private philanthropy and the Christian church of the white South should, in a large degree, share directly in the elevation of the Negro. In saying this, I am not unmindful of or ungrateful for what has already been done by individuals and through public schools. When we consider the past, the wonder is that so much has been done by our brothers in white. All great reforms and improvements rest, in a large measure, upon the church for success. You acknowledge that Christianity and education make a man more valuable as a citizen, make him more industrious, make him earn more, make him more upright. In this respect, let me see how the three largest white denominations in the South regard the Negro. To elevate the ignorant and degraded in Africa, China, Japan, India, these three denominations in the South give annually about $544,000. But to elevate the ignorant, the degraded at your doors, to protect your families, to lessen your taxes, to increase their earning power, in a word, 
to christianize and elevate the people at your very side upon whom in a large measure your safety and property depend these same denominations give twenty one thousand dollars twenty one thousand dollars for the benighted at your doors five hundred forty four thousand dollars for the benighted abroad that thirty-five years after slavery and a fratricidal war the master should give even twenty one thousand dollars through the medium of the church for the elevation of his former slave means much nor would i have one dollar less go to the foreign fields but i would plead with all the earnestness of my soul that the christian south give increased attention to the eight million of negroes by whom it is surrounded all this has a most vital and direct relation to the work of this industrial convention every dollar that goes into the education of the negro is an interest-bearing dollar for years all acknowledge that the south has suffered from the low price of cotton because of overproduction the economic history of the world teaches that an ignorant farming class means a single crop and that a single crop means too often low prices from overproduction or famine from underproduction the negro constitutes the principal farming class of the south so long as the negro is ignorant in head unskilled in hand unacquainted with labor-saving machinery so long will he confine himself to a single crop and overproduction of cotton will result so long as this is true you will be bound in economic fetters you will be hugging the bear while crying for someone to help you let go every man black and white in the south with his crop mortgaged in debt at the end of the year buying his meat from iowa his corn from illinois his shoes from new york his clothing from pennsylvania his wagon from indiana his plow from massachusetts his mule from missouri and his coffin from ohio everyone who is thus situated is a citizen who is not producing the highest results for his state it is argued that the south is too poor to educate such an individual so as to make him an intelligent producer i reply that the south is too poor not to educate such an individual ignorance is manyfold more costly to taxpayers than intelligence every black youth that is given this training of hand and strength of mind so that he is able to grasp the full meaning and responsibility of life so that he can go into some forest and turn the raw material into wagons and buggies becomes a citizen who is able to add to the wealth of the state and to bear his share of the expenses of educational government do you suggest that this cannot be done i answer that it is being done every day at tuskegee and should be duplicated in a hundred places in every southern state this i take to be the white man's burden just now no no not his burden but his privilege his opportunity to give the black man sight to give him strength skill of hand light of mind and honesty of heart do this my white friends and i will paint you a picture that shall represent the future 
partly as the outcome of this industrial convention and will represent the land where your race and mine dwell fourteen slaves brought into the south a few centuries ago in ignorance superstition and weakness are now a free people multiplied into eight million they are surrounded protected encouraged educated in hand heart and head given the full protection of the law the highest justice meted out to them through courts and legislative enactment they are stimulated and not oppressed made citizens and not aliens made to understand by word and act that in proportion as they show themselves worthy to bear responsibilities the greater opportunities will be given them i see them loving you trusting you adding to the wealth the intelligence the renown of each southern commonwealth in turn i see you confiding in them ennobling them beckoning them on to the highest success and we have all been made to appreciate in full that quote, the slaves chain and the masters alike are broken the one curse of the race held both in tether they are rising all are rising the black and white together End quote. the most encouraging thing that happened in connection with this convention was an address delivered by ex-governor mccorkle of west virginia in which he took the position that the time had come when the southern states must face the race problem bravely and honestly that the south could not any longer afford to get rid of the negro's ballot by questionable methods and that the southern states ought to pass a law which would require an educational or property test or both for voting and that this law ought to be made to apply alike to both races honestly and fairly and that there should be no evasion permitted or attempted governor mccorkle is a southern man a democrat the words which he spoke on this occasion received the most hearty cheering and the convention on the next day passed a resolution without a dissenting vote recommending governor mccorkle's suggestion in the settlement of the franchise question in the southern states the influence of this convention was most beneficial on the minds of the southern white people and gave encouragement to the negro and to his friends throughout the country as i write this chapter a conference is being arranged for by the leading white citizens of montgomery alabama which it is intended shall be there during may of each year the object of this conference is to afford an opportunity for free and generous discussion of the race problem from every point of view this movement organized as it has been at the seat of the confederate government is most remarkable it seems fitting that montgomery should be the place where from year to year the best thought of the nation can assemble and assist in working out our national problem in closing this chapter i simply wish to add that i see no reason why the race should not feel encouraged every individual or race that has succeeded has done so only by paying the price which success demands we cannot expect to get something for nothing we shall continue to prosper in proportion as each individual proves his usefulness in the community 
as each individual makes himself such a pillar in property and character that his community will feel that he cannot be spared. End of chapter 19 Recording by Linda Johnson